This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. So you, you need to tell us the story of what happened at your legislative Do I, though? I don't know. Meeting. Yeah, so, so yeah. basically two members of Congress on the call, uh, several elected officials, Speaker Jenkins was there, uh, Derek Kilmer and Adam Smith talking about the CARES Act and things they're doing at the stimulus level. And somebody stands up, drops his pants, we get a face full of rear end. And yeah, so goes the rest of it. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I... I was mortified at first and I still kind of am, but, uh, I think you should you know, play on it. I think you should say it's all together in a new way. Yeah. You know, join these meetings. You never know what might happen. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Evelyn Lopez. Welcome to another episode of Crossing Division. As you'll recall, during this time of our um, coronavirus pandemic, we are doing weekly recordings to try to get a sense of what's going on in Tacoma during the coronavirus. And today, I am very delighted to have Justin Camerata talking with me. And we are going to talk about politics in the time of coronavirus how things are working, how things may be different, and what we think about them. So go ahead and tell us something about what you're up to these days, Justin. Yeah, well, it's funny you should use that particular title because I've long thought that, you know, decades from now when this is all behind us, somebody needs to write a book called, like, Love in the Time of COVID-19 or something Exactly. Like yeah, so maybe maybe we, we come up with politics and campaigning in the time of COVID. Um yeah, so this is obviously a pretty pretty interesting year. I think um, certainly earlier this year, most of our energy and efforts and focus were on the upcoming presidential race. And mm-hmm. uh, here in Tacoma, we had, I think it was the first presidential candidate visit in a really long time when Bernie Sanders came. Um, yeah, and it was yeah, huge. It was a it huge was massive. deal. Yeah, it was, I think, I think they said it, the, the estimates varied depending on who you ask, but I've heard everywhere from, 15 up to like 22 or 23,000 people at the dome. Wow. It, was, it was completely at capacity. Uh, there were people that were turned away. Um, and that was a really big deal. And I think, you know, certainly people's energy and excitement was there. And then I think it was just a few weeks after that when things really started, uh, the virus started becoming more of a concern and more of a, yeah, more I of think a, that's right. yeah, more of a, more of an issue than we had previously thought it was going to be. So, um, so I think really it's fair to say that this has kind of sucked up most of our energy and most mm-hmm. of our focus. But uh, that said, the you know the campaign life certainly continues for a lot of different people and groups. And so uh, I'm chairing the 27th LD, and so we've got our uh, we've got our eyes on various races happening around the area. So if you're not familiar with that, 27th LD is most of Tacoma, not all of it. Uh, the 28th and the 20. Ninth are both also in Tacoma, parts of it there, but basically downtown, lots of South Tacoma, Central, Hilltop, the North End, uh, the Port areas, Northeast, like that's all the 27th. So there's certainly legislative races this year. Uh, there's congressional races. Denny Hecker's retiring. So uh, mm-hmm. that race is heating up, and there's quite a few, both Republican and Democratic candidates for that seat now. So that's, that's where I think a lot of the energy and money and focus are going to go. Um, but yeah, we can we can talk about any number of different races going on here. But well, uh, yeah, it is it is going to be an interesting year. So, 
and I do think that the, you know, COVID-19 is kind of, um, you know, a really big unexpected barrier in the road because we have, so we have governors up for re-election, running for re-election. And, and I would yeah. say early signs, Joe, he, he is uh, expected to do very, very well. Um, he yeah. is, um, you know, his Republican um, opponents are um, not strong. You know, I think early on, we might have thought Tim Eyman is one of them who's now running as a Republican. I think we might have thought that uh, Tim Eyman with his, um, you know, his name worthiness and his um, votes for the $30 car tabs, I think might have had a little bit more um, pull. But I don't think that our state is going to be too interested in a, um, you know, a bit of a um, gadfly kind of candidate now that we've gone through a very serious public health emergency. It kind I mean, of makes us value the the people who are professionals. The thing I've learned with Tim Iman is never say never. I mean, things yeah. that things that you think won't happen with him do happen. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he should have been finished years ago, and uh, clearly his little chair step stunt didn't seem to hurt him too much. Mm. Um, you know, and he writes these initiatives that do get signatures and they do pass. Uh, most recently, I-976, which mm-hmm. is in an ongoing legal battles at various stages. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, just because of name recognition at this point, if he is the guy that survives the primary against Jay Inslee. Um, I yeah. think it's entirely possible that I, I don't think he's going to win. I think you're right there. But uh, I do think it's possible that he gets through. But the race at the state level that I am paying, there's a couple of races at the state level I would follow. Uh, one of them being lieutenant governor. So Cyrus Abid. Yes. Uh, he, I think only served one term. Is that right? He, uh, yeah, I think he got elected 2016. I think that's correct. It's a four year term. So yes, I think that's correct. I had, yeah. uh, yeah, I had, uh, met with him a couple of times when he was in the Senate uh, and I had to go over and talk to legislators, uh, and that would have been before 2017. So yeah, I think he has just been in his first term, probably got elected in 2018. Yeah, well, he uh, he announced he's not going to be running again, and he's uh, going to be entering Jesuit ministry. So that's, I know, and that's now, a big, a big surprise. It's uh, yeah, I mean, it's not something. It's not a story you hear about very often. So uh, well, and I Jen, think too. I mean, he he's super smart, and I and a, a very gifted politician. So I think that that a lot of people have been sort of thinking, well, you know, what can we pencil him in for next? And I, now we know. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I think he might be done, honestly. I think, yeah, I think he's done. What people have been saying is he's, he's done with politics, did what he wanted to do, and he's out of there. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, Denny Heck, who's retiring from Congress, has actually declared for that seat now. Uh, a couple other Democratic candidates have filed. Uh, Mark Elias, senator from, mm-hmm. I think he's in Linwood, somewhere in that mm-hmm. area. Somebody hears that, and that's wrong. Sorry. Uh, and then Steve Hobbs also declared for it. There's a Republican candidate who... Uh, apparently ran for Seattle city council last year too. So the Republicans have already kind of coalesced around her. Uh, and I believe she's a prosecutor or something, some kind of, uh, some kind of legal person. Positioning her herself Lu- as Lieutenant, Lieutenant governor? governor. Yeah. Ann yeah. Sattler, I think her name is. Um, yeah. Ann Sattler. She's kind of positioning herself as a McKenna King County moderate type. So that, yeah, know, that whether, would make sense. Whether that actually exists anymore, or if that's just a, a facade, is kind of a another question. Right. But right, yeah, that's that's going to be a really interesting race. I think Denny Heck's going to be pretty formidable for that. 
Yeah, it's pretty. Um, if, I just pulled that race up on the PDC website, and there's yeah, there are a lot of people. Uh, there's ten, ten people currently listed as uh, having opened campaigns, uh, including it was like uh, four Republicans, um, three. There's a white supremacist running too, I believe. Also, no, so is that, that the one running as a libertarian or the Brumbles guy? A three percenter. Oh yeah, Joseph Brumbles. Yeah, he's running as a Republican. Looks like he's raised three thousand five hundred and nineteen dollars. So he's not uh, he's not very far down the road. Yeah, Ann Sattler uh, has raised twenty two thousand. So she's doing pretty well. Interestingly, um, Steve Hobbs has raised ninety two thousand. Um, so that's a pretty heavy start. I mean, I think this race is going to remain democratic, but uh, there is speculation that it's going to be important this year because mm-hmm. uh, let's say Joe Biden wins and he appoints Jay yes. Inslee to some kind of cabinet position, then mm-hmm. whoever is holding this seat becomes governor of Washington state. So mm-hmm. it is possible that uh, people are eyeing it from that perspective. And perhaps there's a likelihood that Inslee joins the cabinet. I, I'm not privy to those kinds, kinds of conversations. I, it's not really anything that I know a whole lot about, but Given that Jay Inslee, in my opinion, has really kind of stepped it up over the past couple of years uh, between his presidential run and what he talked about with climate stuff. And uh, now, frankly, the way he's dealt with the state of Washington during coronavirus, I would not be surprised at all uh, if he's really got more national attention now. Oh, I agree completely. I don't have any insider information on this, none whatsoever, but I will speculate freely, as I always do. And I will tell you, I mean, you would be uh, Biden- Assuming Biden can get elected, and I think that he just might be able to, depending on who he picks as his vice president. Knock um, on wood. Knock on wood. You would be foolish to not make the most of Jay Inslee. Uh, he has the climate um, information the um, down. He's very credible in that. Um, I mean, years ago, he even wrote a book on climate change. And uh, he has uh, really been shining as a leader. I think. Um, you know, this is the, the thing about these horrible things that happen. They're horrible. But you also see those people who have really strong leadership skills rise to the challenge. And I think he's one of the governors across the country who has really shown that uh, he's a serious uh, guy. He's a smart guy and he's very capable. Yeah, I think one of the really cool things about coronavirus, if there is anything that's cool about it, is it's kind of given mayors, governors, uh, municipal leaders have a chance to shine at the national level too. Mm-hmm. And I think you're seeing that in a lot of states, both parties, but, um, you know, California, Washington, Oregon, doing cool stuff together. Uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's cool to see them get this much attention and really kind of raise the profile of their states and everything that's just yeah. in there. So I think so yeah, too. I'll be following, I'll be following Lieutenant Governor pretty closely. I think there's uh, important stuff for that race for sure. I think so too. And I think you're right. I mean, I think one of, I don't know this at all either, but again, I think one of the reasons why Danny Heck might be um, thinking I want to do this next is that it kind of, in a way, it um, prevents that seat from becoming, I think, a strong player in um, who might be the governor should Jay Inslee get a cabinet position. Um, right. Because I don't think that uh Denny Heck would be interested in running for governor again. And we know that there are very competent um, next level down 
public officials, um, elected officials who are ready for that next step of experience and who are hungry for it. And I would say, you know, certainly count um, Bob Ferguson on that list. But I would also not count out uh, people like Dow Constantine in King County. There's Hillary a, we Franz, have, she ran for it. Yes, Hillary Franz ran for it, you know, was uh, building a campaign for it early on. Yeah, there are a lot. We are so lucky in the state. We have a, a good, strong handful of really good, up-and-coming, competent, experienced leaders who are still you know, relatively young, who are in their third, uh, 40s and 50s. And, um, and that's a real blessing. And then, you know, we have some really strong ones who are in their 30s, who are, you know, sort of gearing up and looking at attorney general and other offices. And not every state has this. We are very fortunate. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely see what happens there. It's going to be fun to watch that race. And um, just a couple other races that might be mild, mm-hmm. moderately competitive at the state level. Um, certainly Secretary of State Kim Wyman. She's uh, one of two statewide elected Republican executives. Um, mm-hmm. The other one being Dwayne Davidson, the treasurer, uh, who yeah. won last year because two two Republicans got through the primary last last time for that seat. So, mm-hmm. uh, so he won that one, but... Yeah, Gail Tarleton is going to be running for Secretary of State against Kim Wyman. Uh, That that could be a competitive race this year. I think Wyman's a pretty formidable candidate in general. She's pretty popular. Um, But, you know, who knows? If if the mood is generally not pro-Republican this cycle because of Donald Trump and everything that's happened at that level and the whole entire well is poisoned, then maybe she's right. Who knows? It'll be interesting to see. So I just pulled up the PDC report on that race and... Uh, Kim Wyman has a significant funding lead. She's raised $353,000 and has spent it's early, sixteen. Though. It's really early. And Gail Tarleton has a decent, a very decent amount raised. She has 107000 right. raised and 23000 spent. So she's doing very well considering it, it has not yet hit filing week. I, and but I would say the, on this one, oh, go ahead, Justin. Oh, no, I was just going to say the, the thing with Wyman that's interesting, though, is, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now during coronavirus about the role of uh, mail-in voting, right? So mm-hmm. you look at what happened with Wisconsin and the lines at the polls and uh, Supreme Court getting involved there. And our state is one of the leading examples of a state that's doing all mail voting. Uh, yes. And the, there there are positive correlations with turnout and with uh, civic engagement. And it doesn't pose the health risk that standing in line mm-hmm. for eight hours that, you know, what, right. what was it? they whittled it down to five polling centers after something previously had 50 or 60. So mm-hmm. Wyman has typically supported that stuff, whereas the, mm-hmm. the Republican party as a whole has not. So it's, it's interesting to me to, to watch this race. And I, I'm really fascinated to see how both those candidates differentiate themselves and how they go about uh, positioning that because Wyman can legitimately say, I've done my own thing. I've not followed the national party standards on posing this. We led the way. I mean, she was mm-hmm. a she was supposedly a supporter of mail in ballots. So um, I think she yeah. I think she has been. You know, she came out of the county, um, came out of Thurston County, I believe, and um, and I could be wrong on that. But uh, people who who are for real elections people, they've been really running elections at different levels. I, I just think the partisanship is is not nearly as evident. For the most part, at least in our state, they are really committed to running fair elections. Here's my um, question, though. S- mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. No, this is, no I was, was going to say, you certainly format. see that. Yeah, you certainly see that with Julie Anderson. You know, a strong, strong public sector commitment to running free 
and fair elections. And I and I think Kim Wyman has also been a strong advocate for fair elections, um, regardless of her party. But I'll tell you, Gail Tarleton is a formidable um, opponent. She yeah. is very smart. She comes, uh, you know, from before being in the legislature. She had a background, I think, in the, um, you know, I want to. I'm not getting the right word, but you know, basically in kind of the. Um, international analyst, um, you know, uh, international relations issues and things like that. So, you know, she's extremely smart and very uh, talented as well. So you're right. It will be a very interesting race. My big question is why this has to be a partisan kind of race at all. You know, is there, mm. you know, we we know what the parties want out of managing elections. And I get that. But, you know, ideally, maybe I'm in the minority on this, but I kind of like the idea of, uh, you know, disinvested technocratic approach to managing elections, somebody that's not serving a party agenda. I mean, again, Wyman is kind of an exception to the the national norms, but you look at what's happening down in Georgia, uh, mm-hmm. in all these other states where there are Republican election officials, and there's just some straight up vote suppression happening, you know, because, um, you know, so I just, to me, I, I don't like that component of this. So right. it'll be it'll be good to see how we I, and I think Washington's objectively done a lot right. So yes, it'll be fascinating to see how that race goes and what the what the local ramifications are too. Because uh, we did a little bit of an analysis again of Pierce County and Tacoma after the last mm-hmm. elections, and once again we're still below the statewide average overall in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And there's often reasons for that. There are national studies showing uh, you know lower educational attainment, lower household wealth, lower household income tends to correlate with lower voter turnout. So, you know, there's there's this ongoing question of how we make sure that people that vote reflect the entire community and not just one small subset of it and making mm-hmm. sure that uh, all voices are actually heard and that we go out of our way to make sure that those voices are heard in a way that they sometimes aren't. So, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a fascinating race for sure. Well, I would say, too, on the question of, you know, which you sort of alluded to, should the Secretary of State position maybe be a nonpartisan Position, I I think, I think that's a pretty reasonable um, position. What we've benefited from in our state is having, um, well, mostly Republicans during the years that I've lived here. Uh, but I'm thinking of Sam Reed as the Secretary of State. We've had very strong public servants who I would say were not partisan and uh, did their jobs very well. Um, so we we really haven't seen that kind of partisan gamesmanship going on with our elections, and I think we've really benefited from it. Now, I don't know um, statewide. I don't know if the um, Republican leadership in our state is as uh, is hostile towards the mail-in ballot. I I kind of feel like I've seen comments from everyone in both parties that are generally proud of how well uh, our mail-in ballot system works and how well Washington's. Uh, has done running its election system. But I mean, I, I, think, I haven't. I think, yeah, I think, I think with Trump at the head of the National Party and some of the things that uh, the Republican Party as a whole has said, the general stance of the party is not supportive of it. I mean, they mm-hmm. they know that greater turnout tends to correlate with Republicans losing. So mm-hmm. um, I've not really seen a lot there. I know Wyman herself is pretty supportive of what we do. So. Yeah, I I think that's going to be an interesting race. Will people reelect her now, or is her brand her brand tainted by Donald Trump too? So yeah, well that'll be interesting to see. Well, the other statewide race that I'm kind of interested in is the state treasurer race because we have the incumbent, but just a one-term incumbent, uh, Dwayne Davidson, who's a Republican, 
uh, and he's running against um, Mike Pellicciotti, who has been in the state legislature yep. and has a strong, yeah, 30th LD, and has a very strong background. Uh, he's an, a lawyer also, a strong background in um, doing Medicaid fraud litigation and things like that. And he has raised a lot of money. So in the treasurer race, he has raised $189,000 and he's spent $59,000. Whereas uh, Dwayne Davidson has raised fifty-three thousand and has spent forty. And again, as you say, it's early days, and there's no reason to think that the money won't come in mm. for one of the Republican. You know, they only have a couple of statewide elected um, officers, but um, that will be an interesting race too. I think. Yeah, and that's uh, that was kind of a pickup for Republicans in 2016 for statewide yeah. executives because prior to that it was only Wyman. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that to me, a lesson learned there for both parties, but especially for Democratic candidates, was uh, you get too many people going, you split the vote too much, then mm-hmm. there's a chance in a primary, a top two system like ours, that, you know, you get none of what you want instead of right. some of what you want. Right. You're so, right. Because that uh, that race, by the time it came to the general, had two Republicans vying for that position. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and Democratic voters, uh, they had to make their their picks among two Republican candidates. So, mm-hmm. um, so it'll be interesting to see if this one goes back to uh, a Democratic control. I forget who was treasurer before that. Uh, McIntyre. McIntyre, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, shows how much I think about Washington State treasurer's race. <laughs> well, you know, they're usually really quiet races. And I would say um, usually if the treasurer just does the does the, the job that and has professional staff, everything's worked very smoothly. Um, but we have seen in the past, occasionally you'll get someone in and McIntyre was one of them who has some new ideas about how to do things. And that can be um, very exciting. I, I think more for local government, you know, ways that you can leverage financing to uh, let local government um, have a little more purchasing flexibility. And that's not really a hot and sexy issue, but it, it is if you want to buy more buses or, or things like that. It's also going to be really important as local governments just get their asses handed to them in the upcoming recession. Uh, we're mm-hmm. already reading headlines about Tacoma included, uh, taking mm-hmm. hits on their budget, um, the transit agencies, things like that. So, yeah, that role is going to be important over the next couple of budget cycles, I would estimate. Yeah, I think so, too. So what are you hearing or thinking about or watching in our legislative races? Yeah, so I mean, here in the 27th, uh, we've got now Speaker Lori Jenkins, who's been fantastic. We're we're all very mm-hmm. proud of her, and she's doing great work. Uh, she and Jake Fai and, and Jeannie Darniel, I believe, are all three up for re-election yeah. this year. Uh, last I checked, none of them had an opponent and uh, of any kind, Democratic or Republican. So I think that'll all be pretty quiet. So for me personally, on the political side, I'm kind of watching uh, some of the neighboring districts. So we've mm-hmm. got... The 29th is interesting because this will be Melanie Morgan's first time up for re-election. She has a Republican opponent now. Um, and then also Steve Kirby has drawn uh, a challenger from within the Democratic Party, too. And so Steve's been there for a long time. Uh, and so it's interesting to see uh, Charlotte step up to, to kind of run for that seat also. And I, I think she's kind of running a more more progressive campaign. Um, mm-hmm. She recently signed a pledge to not take fossil fuel money. Uh, or any kind of any kind of corporate any kind of corporate pack backing, I think, was her thing too. But um, she's she seems like a pretty strong candidate in a lot of ways. So I've talked to her a couple times now. So I'm definitely watching that race. 
This is an interesting uh, situation. I think that a lot of progressives, inspired somewhat by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for her congressional race, where she challenged an incumbent, she primaried an incumbent, a Democrat, and won. I think that there has been a lot of energy put into, you know, just don't assume that those Democrats who've been there for a long time are the ones who best represent our interests and primary them. Now, I'm not, I'm usually a little bit um, skeptical about that. I think that reflects my age, that I'm a little bit older. And so I was really, oh, that sounds dangerous. But in a district like this, I think it's very interesting. It tends to be a Democratic district. Democrats have held it for a good long time. All of the, both representative positions and the Senate position have been Democrat. So here, I think you might actually have a chance of um, doing some shifting around. I think where you have a mixed district, one that's a little bit more purple, a mixed uh, Republican and Democratic district, I think it's very difficult to um, get a progressive to win that district. Um, well, I mean, but in yeah, place, I don't know. I mean, the 29th, uh, just the last cycle, I mean, Melanie Morgan challenged an incumbent and she won. And yes, granted, exactly. there were there were other reasons behind that. There were a lot of things that were working in her favor at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, it does show that people sometimes are willing to vote for something a little bit different within their own party. But absolutely, um, yeah, to that to that point, I mean, uh, the 28th and the 26th are both some of those mixed district races. So 26, yeah. Gig Harbor, Kitsap areas like that. My parents live out there. Um, there's Emily Randall picked up the Senate seat in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they've also got the house races that are up this year. So those were really, really close. And uh, Emily, she squeaked it by. I don't remember the exact margin. It was a couple of years Which ago. It was like, you know, in the two digits or something. It was, yeah. I mean, it was it was crazy. And so now, now see if we can carry that forward in, in a year like 2020, where in theory, turnout has already been higher, like in the, uh, the presidential primaries. Really good turnout mm-hmm. there and in some of the other ones. So you know, this is likely going to be a tough year for a lot of Republicans. There, there is a good chance that uh, candidates like Carrie and Joy out in the 26th, who, uh, you know, they, they're Democratic. They have a good chance of picking those seats up. I mean, it remains to be seen if people will go for the incumbents. But uh, if I were an incumbent Republican in a district like that, I'd be, I'd be very nervous right now, especially because you can't be out campaigning and doing, uh, mm-hmm. doing the things you would usually do this time of year. You know, your right. your union meetings, your your party meetings, your uh, festivals and and parades and things like that. None of that is happening right now. So, I I would certainly be sweating a little bit myself. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Uh, well, let me just uh, note for the twenty uh, sixth legislative district race, Jesse Young is the incumbent in uh, the in the first position, uh, and he does have a lead on the fundraising. He's raised uh, almost forty thousand dollars. But between Joyce Stanford and Carrie Hesch, um, they're coming close up behind him. Joyce has uh, just over 15,000 and Carrie has 8,000. And remember that Jesse Young had that uh, news reports about um, some issues he's had in behaving appropriately towards staff. And I don't necessarily mean that sexual misconduct, but he's been, I guess he's a, has a bad temper and he's been yelling at people and doing other things that have made uh, the, the house clerk decide to restrict his uh, access to staffers. And that should definitely weigh with voters, I would hope. Bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll be, I'll, be, uh, I'll be following both of those. That's, uh, that's going to be 
exciting stuff. And then similarly in the 28th, uh, Tawana is, uh, Tawana Noble, she declared for the Senate seat against uh, mm-hmm. Steve Oban, which I'm very excited about. I think she's a, she's a formidable candidate and I think she's already showing early fundraising strength, uh, especially since she got in a little bit later and um, mm-hmm. is going against an incumbent. I think she's going to do really, really well. I'm sure it's going to be hard still, but because uh, he's a he's a fairly powerful senator, but I think she has an opening this year for sure. He is a very powerful senator, and he has raised a lot of money. He's got uh, you know two hundred seventy five thousand, so a lot. Um, but he's spent about seventy thousand, and Twana is is just starting. But I agree with you; she's got about ten thousand, and that's pretty good for making a for making a start, especially just launching during a pandemic. I think it's exactly it's exactly. You know, you, you just don't have the same opportunities. I would say. This is a race where, um, where one, uh, if we get cleared and if we are healthy enough to do a lot of doorbelling, this is where doorbelling can make a significant difference. Um, the other will be um, groups. You know, if people can make personal contacts with their friends who live in that district and say, look, you know, I know someone and this person is really good and here's why. It will certainly help her that she's been on the school district um, in University Place. Um, but yeah, that's going to be it's going to be a tough race. But I think she has um, she has a real chance. I'm I'm personally not banking on door to door canvassing being a thing this year. I think uh, it's just not going to happen. I don't think so. I mean, I, I think when you look at what health departments are recommending right now, they're still even as they slowly start to reopen things, it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very like, you know, still keep your distance, limit your group sizes, don't go to yeah. multiple places that you don't need to. Um, and, you know, what's interesting, though, is I, you know, that's still one of the most effective ways to do it. But it's not the only way to canvas anymore. And it's also not always really effective at getting to places like apartment buildings or uh, the kinds of places that people that you need to turn out uh, to help a candidate like like Tawana against a powerful mm-hmm. incumbent. So, you know, one of the things that we're starting to see more of, I think, Parking again back to the Bernie Sanders campaign, they were really big on text canvassing and sending people yeah. sending people texts to their their contact list and through software. Um, it works. I mean, it gets a good gets a good response rate almost everywhere that it's used so far. And um, it's a new reality people are having to adjust to a little bit. They're not used to. I, I've mm-hmm. gotten questions myself. Why the hell am I getting texts? And then they say right. it's asking me for money or for a vote. But mm-hmm. the reality is, it shows it gets good responses. Uh, it gets probably about the same engagement rate as knocking on doors in some cases. So um, I think, I think in the time of coronavirus, you're going to see a lot more digital activism like that and a lot more canvassing from your couch, if you will, making those phone calls and sending out texts and trying to update databases and things like that. And um, I think for some of these races that could make all the difference. If you're, if you've got the data that says we need to target, uh, you know, groups who aren't typically being reached out to, by some of these mm-hmm. usual political machines, then maybe that's going to get somewhere. Who knows? Yeah. Well, let, let's uh, take a break right here. And when we come back, I want to push on that a little bit. Cause I think that is very interesting. You know, the, how do you actually do it when you are trying to work through um, social distancing and everything else? So we'll take a quick break. This is Doug Mackey, producer of the channel two, five, three podcast network. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. PLU is expanding its graduate program and creating more and more ways for you to continue your education. 
A master's from PLU can take your career to the next level, or it might just be the thing you need to pivot to something you've discovered you're passionate about later in life. The Master's in Kinesiology is a whole new graduate program, adding on to PLU's decades of experience with advanced degrees in nursing, education, fine arts, marketing, and more. Think about PLU as a sort of training ground for what comes next. Earn your spurs here and then ride your new master's degree into the sunset. Best of all, if you live in Tacoma, PLU is just down the street. That means there's no Seattle traffic between you and your degree. To request more information or attend an info session, visit plu.edu slash graduate. My thanks to PLU for their sponsorship of Channel 253. Hi, we're back. Um, you know, before we launched into further nitty gritty, which I think both Justin and I thoroughly enjoy, I want to remind you that if you are not a member of Channel 253, now is a great time to join. It is just $4 a month, gets you all kinds of access to good information, and it lets us continue to produce these podcasts, especially local ones, um, where I think you get a different take on things than you're going to get from your more traditional media outlets. So do think about joining. And Justin, we were starting to get into the question of how you do effectively campaign uh, during the time of coronavirus. And I think you're right that, um, you know, I've been waiting for campaigns to figure out, and I think they're starting to, how to effectively do something other than doorbell. But I'll also say this. I mean, everyone's at home right now. If right. there was a way, I mean, yeah, you don't want to be going door to door and shaking hands and, sh and sharing germs, but man, if there was a way that you could, uh, okay, so here's the most brilliant idea I might ever come up with. If there was a way that you had enough toilet paper that you could drop a roll of toilet <laughs> paper at every door in a neighborhood with a little note saying, vote for me, I'll bet that would be very Well, then cool. then you would be a hoarder, though. You don't want to be a toilet oh, paper true. So but but your that. neighbors aren't talking. Yeah, if your neighbors don't talk to each other, then maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I think for me personally, I would uh, I would look at that can and be like, dude, why are you doing what? this? No, uh, <laughs> not a good look. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think it's this. Like we said earlier, I was trying to find examples of uh, what campaigns were like. You know, I look back to the the Spanish flu of 1918. That's what mm -hmm. that's, that's probably the best approximation of this. And I couldn't right. really find a lot of local examples. I'm sure they're out there, but. Um, yeah, I mean, nobody's kind of really been through this before. And I've seen several of these kind of, uh, virtual town halls and, uh, mm -hmm. direct face-to-face -face kind of contact like what we're doing right now. And I think that's going to continue to pick up, but I think, um, this is going to be the year where texting, email, phone calls, things like that. It's really going to matter a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. my own phone still rings. So you know, people still call asking for money or asking for right. endorsements or things like that. So I don't think that's going to change at all. And I think if anything, that's going to step up. And um, I've not really done any real serious analysis. This is like a Ben Anderstone tier analysis here. Right. But I'd like to right. see, you know, if somebody wanted to do a comparison of fundraising now in this time of the pandemic versus this same point, I, I don't know, 2018, 2016, Mm -hmm. See what that compares to otherwise. Like, I think that'd be fascinating, but it doesn't yeah. appear to have had an impact on money so far. I'm told some candidates have said uh, it is kind of difficult at the moment to fundraise, though. Yeah, I think you definitely have to rethink. And I think that's always a difficult because 
uh, as you well know, you know, as a candidate, you sort of feel incredible pressure to just be doing something at all times. Uh, and, right. um, and, and the calling and doorbelling kind of becomes that do something. And now I think the answer is no, you still need to be doing something, but you really need to think about what's effective. And that's harder. And uh, I, I think this being a presidential year and also congressional district year, um, mm. that that does tend to have an impact on races further down the ballot. So mm-hmm. um, certainly legislative district we talked about, I don't think we really talked about Pierce County at all, uh, right. um, but we've, we've got some important Pierce County races this year too. So a couple mm-hmm. open seats, Pam Roach is being term limited out. Um, you know, so she's, she's out there. Hans Zeiger looks pretty well positioned at this point, but uh, Sarah Rumbaugh, she's closing the fundraising gap certainly on mm-hmm. the, on the democratic side. And then uh, also the, the current district, I think it's district four, right. That, that is vacant right now or will be vacant. Um, so Ryan Mello is running for that Tim Farrell. And then there's also right. a third, third democratic candidate a guy named Preston Anderson. Uh, he declared recently and he and Tim Farrell raised almost the same amount of money. So, um, you know, Ryan is pretty much the front raiser, front runner, excuse me there, but yes. Um, you know, we'll see what happens, but, yeah, supposedly, supposedly the the fundraising I've heard can be a challenge, but it doesn't appear to be that different so far. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and it doesn't look like um, so far. Just popping back and forth. So it looks like, in terms of our um, single um, position races, our nonpartisan single position races, um, we have Doug Richardson who has filed for sheriff. And also someone, uh, Darren Gregory Harris, has also filed for sheriff, although he's only got $525 in his uh, Now, is that race so still on? I mean, my understanding was... He, so I, um, I, I wasn't sure. So here's what, what Paul Pastor had said initially was, I'm going to retire in at the end of April, right. which would have been before the end of his term. And I think then Pierce County, I think his... Position was up for, yeah, they would have appointed somebody for the, you know, end through the end of the year. But I think his position is up for election. Yeah, his position must be up for election anyway, because otherwise uh, we wouldn't have people being able to file um, this way on the PDC website and put down uh, their money. So the position must be up for election. I guess there is a question at, you know, Paul Pestor could change his mind and decide to run for another term. But I kind of took his decision to not retire at the end of April as now, as in April, is not the best time for me to leave, but that he was still planning to finish yeah, out. Yeah, to be honest, I've not, I've not followed that race really closely. I probably should a little bit more, um, but it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I mean the, this pandemic happened and all of a sudden the priorities for uh, first responders kind of changed a little yeah. bit. So Exactly. I think it'll be an interesting race to watch over the summer. I don't think you need to be paying much attention to it now. Um, the other race, uh, countywide race, that's in, that might become interesting is the county executive. We have Bruce Dammeyer, uh in as the incumbent who has a significant war chest, almost $300,000. And so far, nobody has put in to run against him. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that he's going to get a challenger, unfortunately. I mean, <laughs> somebody might run just to have their name on the ballot, but... Yeah, right. I, I think. But a serious so challenge. I think if you're a yeah. Democrat, if if we're Democrats, you're right in this race, all. You know. Um, yeah. I have opinions on which I won't I won't rehash here. 
Um, yeah. The the congressional district race, though, uh, to replace Denny Hack is certainly the the big the big one here. Now, I think that I, is the big one. When I talk to people around here, I think a lot of them are uh, thinking that's where a lot of the focus and the energy is going uh, because because it's a congressional seat. And mm-hmm. um, what I what I always tell everybody there is uh, that race. I don't think Denny Hack ever won by any more than you know. 58-ish percent, somewhere around there. So while it's a strong Democratic district, it's not its not impossible for a Republican to win it, I think. They would have to take I a big agree. upset and a weak Democratic candidate. But right now, there's just so many people in the field that it'll be interesting to see where it goes. So our former mayor, Mayor Strickland, is, is a candidate for that. Uh, Beth Dolio, she's actually down in the district. And as far as I know, mm-hmm. she might be one of the only ones that currently resides in that district or has historically almost everybody else that's declared for it so far is uh not a long-term resident of the district so yeah i was gonna say of the big money um people so far and that would be uh marilyn strickland christine reeves and beth dolio um beth dolio is the one who actually lives in the district and she's a uh, has been in the house of representatives for a couple of years um as to some of the other candidates running who haven't got quite the same money, I think I think there are some of them who do live in the district. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, they, I think they live there. I think it's just yeah. long-term, uh, like kind of roots in Olympia or roots in Thurston County or Southern areas. And Constitution doesn't require it. I mean, you, you can live outside of that district and still get elected to serve it as long as you maintain a residence once you're actually elected. But I'm also mm-hmm. not convinced people actually care that much. Uh, about that it's often brought up oh do you think you don't think so no i mean i I think i mean people vote for who they want to represent them in dc you know so yeah i think that's true i mean i think people want to vote for someone who they think is going to do the best job but i do think that the candidates need to articulate um some they need to know that district and they need to understand the issues of that district i i think that there's some risk in uh not having uh, lived in that district and known that district. I I don't feel that way for the Seattle congressional districts. I don't think it made a whit of difference that Pramila Jayapal didn't live in the district well, in she which lived she was elected. The you know, she well, she lived, lived very close. And and the issues yeah. of Seattle. I mean, you know, if you live in one, in one part of Seattle versus you know another part of Seattle, you're still pretty well versed in the issues of Seattle. I don't know that if you live in uh, in Tacoma, in Derek Kilmer's district you are, you're going to have to be able to articulate why you understand the issues of District 10. And District 10 is a new district. You know, it, it only has come about, uh, Denny Hex, the only person who has been the representative of it. So um, we'll see. It's going to be know, interesting. It's the, same, it's the same time if you support things like Medicare for all or, um, excuse me, reducing climate, carbon mm-hmm. emissions or anything like that. Like some of that stuff is going to exist across boundaries. And I think I agree. You know, certainly you can, you can advocate for local stuff at the congressional level. Um, but I think there's some things at the national level where that's probably a little less important. I, I've just not seen any any sign that that's really that important to most people. But I could be wrong on that. So who knows? But Well, um, and I think that's also a question of who's voting. So I think for the younger voters, it is not important because I think that they are, um, first of all, they're, I don't feel that they're as uh, territorial as maybe older voters are. So I I agree with you completely that the that the issues um, are much more important. I I do kind of feel like for the older 
voter that they may feel like, you know, someone who is from, you know, Tacoma or someone who is from Seattle may not really be the person that they feel is comfortable with representing their interests in Puyallup. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the primary on that one. Yeah. Well, and speaking of Puyallup, the 25th LD uh, has been entirely Republican for a little while. And that's mm-hmm. another district where, uh, you know, if you're, a, if you're a real progressive and you want to challenge establishment uh, Democrats, you know, maybe more mainline moderate types, there aren't really some of those to do that with. So mm-hmm. I think the, the questions there are a little bit different than they would be somewhere like Seattle, as you mentioned earlier. So Puyallup uh, Mayor Julie Dore is running for Senate now. Um, and then the two candidates that ran in 2018 for the House that just barely lost, uh, yeah. they're, they're both up for re-election again, too. So that's going to be an interesting, interesting LD there. They're directly next to us in the 27th. Um, so I think certainly for some of the LD organizations, they're all going to be paying attention to those races. I think so, too. And I think they've got some really strong candidates in the 25th, um, you know, really good people. And I think one of the things that makes uh, certainly the House race more open is that Chris Gilden, who had won previously, is now going to run for Hans Zeiger's open, uh, the open Senate seat instead. Senate so seat. that really yeah. does open things up quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's probably an area we're all be spending some time personally if we're if we're allowed to do the, the physical <laughs> out and about knocking on doors kind of thing, which I said earlier, I don't I don't believe is coming back this year. Yeah, I, I think you may be right. Although I also think that there's some, as I said, some real potential since everyone is sort of um, not distracted. Everyone is sort of looking for things to pay attention to. There's certainly still going to be ways to be involved. Um, I think, you know, at the at the national level, certainly the presidential race, but uh, Stacey Abrams, who's often talked about as a potential running mate for Joe Biden, she's been at the helm of an organization that's doing things like combating voter suppression and working mm-hmm. on voters' rights legislation. And she, her email list is really big and I, I get a lot of those. And mm-hmm. it's all these things they're doing in all these different states and sometimes even counties to make sure that people are able to still get out to vote, that they're able to participate. And I think you're going to see a lot of mobilizing that way, trying to get people around the country to kind of reinforce your efforts. And it's going to be up to each individual person if they're politically minded to think, mm-hmm. what's, what's, what am I most interested in and what do I want to spend some of this extra time on the couch, if you will, what, what right. do I want to spend that time doing? And maybe that is making phone calls for piece of legislation. Maybe it's in a competitive swing district race. Uh, maybe it's a, maybe it's helping fundraise for a county council member, but we're, we're really going to see a big, big shift. I think this year. Mm-hmm. Okay, you may be right. Well, it'd be very interesting to see, you know, one of the things that um, is kind of a, um, open question right now is the use of Facebook for political advertising. Yeah. Um, because face and, and let me be very clear for people. It's not, there's no rule that's that for candidates that says as a candidate, you cannot advertise on Facebook. The problem is with Facebook, Facebook, like any media platform is required to maintain books and records of the types of ads that they are running so that someone can come in and take a look at, you know, hey, you know, I just saw an online ad for this person or against that person or that ballot measure. I'd like to know who paid for it. And Facebook has not been able to keep those records or hasn't, I would say they have not bothered to set up a mechanism for effectively keeping those records. 
And that's why they're in trouble with the state of Washington and the attorney general is, uh, is filing a case against them. But the sad part of that for me is that Facebook is a very effective, low cost campaign advertising venue. If you are running a small campaign or you're running for a small office and you don't have a whole lot of money, um, mailing things out is very expensive. And I think there's a question about who looks that closely at all their political mailers. Television is way too expensive. Newspapers are very, very expensive. And, and so dying. by and dying, you know, and so by not Family. allowing, uh, you know, by not having a way that you can find some inexpensive online advertising, ironically, you know, it really hampers those small independent campaigns. Yeah, you know, and uh, Facebook, I remember last year when I was a candidate, uh, they they were at the time trying to restrict the amount of ads that you could actually buy and place on Facebook. And mm-hmm. I think for a while, their official stance was you're not doing political ads at all. It didn't yeah. really stop a lot of candidates. We didn't do Facebook advertising in my campaign, uh, mm-hmm. but it didn't, you know, I, I would log in and I would, uh, the the employer I work for, we actually tend to deal a lot with online advertising software. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I intentionally keep my ad blockers off and I like to look at these things and yeah. uh, people were still running them for campaigns regardless. Yeah. And, uh, it didn't seem to hurt a lot of these candidates either way, but yeah, now that now that lawsuit between the state and Facebook has escalated, so I, I'm curious if that actually continues. But mm-hmm. there's other ways to do it. You know, you can you can buy online advertising that appears through Google Ads or through mm-hmm. any number of other things. You know, if you're a if you're a retail site or a content site, some of those ads can still follow you around based on different kinds of tracking. So um, I think that's going to be important. Facebook is definitely just one channel; it's a big one, but mm-hmm. it's not the only channel to do online ads. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the other thing is um, even local candidates should should do some looking at at some of what we've seen at the presidential campaign level. And I'm thinking in particular, the campaign of Elizabeth Warren was very effective at using Facebook posts and Twitter posts to have, a, you know, a pretty good media presence and a pretty good basis for articulating policies. And I and I think that um, for some um, smaller offices in particular, you don't see as much, uh, you know, of the candidate or, or you know, the candidate's um, friends or, you know, supporters making use of the tools that are not advertising tools, but that are available for communication. And I, and I think we might see a little bit more development there, too. You can also do these kinds of Zoom town halls and things like that. And uh, mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of that, of course, uh, for the for the folks that aren't locking those down uh, that are making them public, you do run the risk of, of Zoom bombing, you know, so. So you, you need to tell us the story of what happened at your legislative do I, though? I don't know. meeting. Yeah, so so yeah. basically two members of Congress on the call, uh, several elected officials, Speaker Jenkins was there, uh, Derek Kilmer and Adam Smith talking about the CARES Act and things they're doing at the stimulus level. And somebody stands up, drops his pants, we get a face full of rear end and yeah, so goes the rest of it. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I was mortified at first and I still kind of am, but. Uh, I think you should you know, play on it. I think you should it say. It's all together in a new way. Yeah. You know, join these meetings. You never know what might happen. I think it's a good thing. Well, uh, Justin, we'll wrap up here, but tell me if you were talking to a candidate, let's say, uh, you know, someone who was either running for a local position or who was active in the campaign, what, 
What would your advice be now that we are campaigning in the times of coronavirus? Yeah, you know, for me, I think Washington being what it is with mail-in voting and mm -hmm. uh, the amounts of things that we know about what that does for turnout, my my general advice, especially for the the ones that want to be on the more progressive side of things, is find those people that don't get the outreach and spend your time turning those people out. I mean, you know, there's there's people that say that, um, you know, let's just focus on the people that we know are going to vote. We know they're mm -hmm. going to be regular. And there's I'm not saying that's not a valid strategy because it is, especially if you're running, let's say, as a Democrat in a race with four other Democrats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want to capture that Democratic vote. But, you know, some of these cases here, it's like this is an opportunity. We've talked a lot about globally. What are we going to do as a society, as a country, as a planet after coronavirus? Are we going to mm -hmm. continue to do everything that we did before? Or is this a good time to reevaluate all of our old bad habits and bad ways of doing things? You know, and for me, as I look at this, I'm like, this is a this is an equalizer in the sense of are we going to reach out to everybody over the phone, over Zoom, over text, uh, as much as we're able to? And are we going to try to engage those people in this? Or are we going to keep perpetuating the same old systems that we know disenfranchise a lot of people? So for mm -hmm. me, if I were a candidate, I would think, Let's get as many votes as we can, and let's start looking in places that maybe other people aren't going to be looking. So I really hope to see some more of that happening. And I think um, third time I'm bringing up the Sanders campaign this year, but uh, they did that. They they went after a lot of people that uh, did not typically get engaged in this process, and clearly it wasn't sufficient because uh, Bernie's not going to be the nominee. Uh, but there was a place for that. He did engage a lot of new people. So I, I would hope that whether you're a Bernie person or not, uh, I would mm -hmm. hope that sort of mentality continues down the ballot. I think that that's really good advice. And I think I would add into that. Um, spend some time thinking about how you want to approach this, because you're right. You know, the rules are no longer the rules. Um, the way things have been done is the past. And it's an opportunity to, it's very easy to fall back into the do it the way we've done it before because we know that and it's easy, but that doesn't mean that's the best way. And this right. is kind of an enforced opportunity for us to think a little bit differently. I agree with you. I'm actually excited. Like, I, I think it's going to be a painful, uh, like I said earlier, painful few budget cycles. Um, we're, mm -hmm. we're likely going to be in a really deep recession, if not a full on depression at some point pretty soon. Um, so I don't envy the policymakers who are going to have to make a lot of decisions and do some really difficult stuff. That's going to be hard. But in the meantime, we can start asking ourselves now, how are we going to make sure that the tent is as big as possible, that we bring in as many people as possible, and that we give as many of them as a voice as possible? I agree. Well, and just to, since we've been doing this every week, uh, to note as of today, April 24th, in our state, of Washington, we have uh, 12,753 cases of COVID-19. We have experienced 711 deaths, which is very serious and bad, but we're doing a lot better than some other states. In Pierce County, we have 1,192 cases, um, you know, counted and 44 deaths. So it's a, it's a very difficult time for any number of reasons. And you're absolutely correct, Justin, you know, the next piece is going to be, um, you know, the economic and budget um, outfalls from all of this. Um, 
And the best way to get through it is to make sure we're electing the best people to help us make decisions. And just be good to people around you everywhere you can. Be good to people around you. Wash your hands. Be kind. Absolutely. All right. All right. That's it for today. Thank you so much, Justin. I really appreciate you talking through all these things with me. I like your t-shirt, Doug. Looks good. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.